Well, welcome to Evening Tea Time. That's right, Miss Liz is back. This afternoon, we had Linda Harlow's on with Sex Trafficking Prevention and Abuse Awareness. And tonight, I have my friend Doug Lawrence here. He has been on my radio show before. If Miss, if any of you haven't heard, Miss Liz did have a radio show. We do still have the radio going on. It is recorded tea times, and you can check that out on two radio stations. Go to the website, and you can find that there at www.misslizesteatimes.com. And the two radio stations are there under the radio tab for services. Um, I want to give a special shout out to Business Mind Media for posting and sharing my press release again for the second month in a row. So check out that magazine as well. They are collaborating with Miss Liz for one year. So I want to give that a special shout out. Also, I want everyone to go over to Miss Liz's YouTube channel and let's bring those numbers up so we can get all of these tea times seen more. So go over to Miss Liz's tea time, subscribe to the YouTube channel and ring that bell. Now, before we get started, we're going to do the disclaimer. We're going to do a little bit of bio on Doug, and then we're going to get Doug in here, and we're going to share a good, strong cup of tea with all of you guys tonight on Tea Time with Miss Liz. Disclaimer for Miss Liz's Tea Time live shows. Miss Liz, myself, is going live using StreamYard. Before leaving a comment, please grant StreamYard permission to see your name at StreamYard.com. Please be advised that the content brought forward for any Tea Time show hosted by myself, Miss Liz, is always brought forward in good faith. However, may bring forth dialogues and opinions that are not representative of my platform. The facts and information are perceived to be accurate at the giving time of airing. All tea time guests and audience participants are responsible for using their good judgment and taking any action that may relate to the discussion. The content brought forward may include discussions for some where they may be emotionally at risk. It's significant to know that this show is engaging in discussion forums only to offer inspire awareness and connection and is not providing therapeutical advice. If you have any questions about the disclaimer or the panelist discussion, you may freely contact me, Miss Liz, through my email at bookingmissliz at gmail.com. Moving forward, should you choose to voluntarily participate in tonight's show in any aspect, I myself, Miss Liz, welcomes you. And should you choose decide that the show is not made for you at this time, I respect those wishes and will see you at a later show at a later date and time. Again, all tea time shows are done on Thursday. If it's done on a Monday or Tuesday, it's a rescheduled tea time or a surprise tea time that Miss Liz does from time to time. Now, let me give you a little bit on Doug, and then I'm going to get Doug in here, and we're going to spill some tea with you guys. If you have any questions, comments, or support, you can put them in the comments section in, in wherever you're tuning in from, and Ms. Liz will get those up to Doug. Mentoring and mental health and advocate and leader of support mental health with mentoring. Doug Lawrence is the founder of Talent C and co-founder of the International Mentor Community. Doug leads organizations to experience how to benefit of mentoring will encourage workforce culture to flow in harmony mentors, improve productivity from employees, mentees, reducing costly employers, employees onboarding, improve the bottom line organization. Doug is an international certified mentor and obtained his certified of achievement mentoring, his certificate of compound competence i hope i'm saying that right mentor and his certificate of competence i think i'm saying that right journey mentor from the international mentoring community doug served in the rcmp for 25 years and currently examines mentoring as a support for those struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder doug is an international speaker and an author and published his book in 2014 the gift of mentoring and in 2022 he published you are not alone so let me get doug in here and we're going to have a good conversation welcome doug well hello it's been a while since we've been together <laughs> i know right we've been on the radio we've been on reunion shows but we've never done a tea time together this is your official tea time my official tea time and i want to thank you for this awesome opportunity 
So, Doug, I want to get into who was Doug as a little boy and who is Doug now? Oh, my goodness. I thought I buried that. But um, so growing up, I grew up on a farm and uh, did the usual farm chores and stuff, took care of the, the animals on the farm. And then as I got a bit older, ended up being put out on a tractor to work the soil and all that sort of stuff. And I got to a stage where I sort of started to question, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? And then my decision got fast-tracked as to whether I did or didn't when my, my dad and his brother came to me and said, if you want the farm, it's yours. And I made a decision, my response, because I'd already made my mind up, my response was, uh, no, thank you, I'll, uh, I'll pass. And, and that's what I did was I, I moved on. And there was a number of different things that, that factored into that decision making. Um, and, and then fast forward to where I am today, like I, I went into the Royal Canadian Mounted Police um, in 1974 and spent the 25 years and and bounced kind of, as I call it, bounced all over the place. I spent nine years in the Northwest Territories. A large part of that was in uh, smaller communities where in some cases I was the only police officer. So yeah. It, it, They've, I think they've changed that approach now, but back then there was, uh, I had, what was there, two or three postings that I was there by myself with the exception of, you know, my family, obviously, but um, yeah, I was there by myself. So so that that's kind of a 35,000 foot snapshot of me before, during and, and after, I guess. So when did you come out of the Northwest Territories and what year did you leave there? 1992. Oh. So you've been out of there since then? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and from 19, uh, from 1990, no, just right now. I Well, yeah, I came out of the North in 92 and then I retired in 98 slash 99. I was going to say because you joined in 1974, and I'm I was born in 74, so I'm going to be 50. <laughs> well, and and it's interesting because I, I I got some mail, an email to, to I think it was during the last couple of days from the RCMP headquarters, and they made reference to the first troop, <clears throat> the first female troop that had gone through training was 50 years ago and that was ex that was when I was still I was on the tail end of my training I think we they came oh, wow. they were at depot two months maybe three months tops and we were just ramping up for graduation and and taking off and heading to wherever they were going to send us so did you get a lot of transfers in the time you we're an RCMP. Yeah, a lot. I did. Took my training here in Regina, Saskatchewan. Then I went from there to Prince Rupert in British Columbia. From there to Masset on the Queen Charlotte Islands. From there to Telegraph Creek, Dees Lake in the northern part of uh, British Columbia. Then I got married and I got sent to Invermere. And then from Invermere, we went north to Hay River. And from Hay River, we went Hay River to Cambridge Bay in the Central Arctic, and then Cambridge Bay to Fort McPherson, then all the way across Canada to the Eastern Arctic to Hall Beach, and then from Hall Beach back to the uh, Lower Mainland in British Columbia. So I, I worked out of the headquarters building. And then I got promoted to uh, to come back to Regina, and this is where I ended up. Wow, lots of transfers. So that had to have been hard on you too, Doug, going through all of those transfers. 
Well, it, it wasn't as hard. There was, a, yes, there was a, a degree of some sort that you had to deal with, but it was tougher on the family than it was on anyone because I, I had my circle of friends. It was the people that I worked with. So I'd get up and go to work and everything was great. But my wife and my children, they had to rebuild relationships all over again um, because they didn't get to bring, you know, their friends or schoolmates or whatever across with them when at wherever they got sent to. In fact, we, we, we used to jokingly say that we don't put pictures on the wall because as soon as we put pictures on the wall, the phone rings and it's you're being moved to the Timbuktu. So we just, we kept, that stuff was kept very low key. We, we didn't put any pictures up at all. Yeah, I guess with all the moving around, right? It's So after getting your last transfer, how was that for you and your family, Doug? Um, the last one, as in the one to like, come here? Yeah. Um, it, it gave us a sense of stability, I would have to say. Um, and it was it had mixed emotions because when we were stationed in, in British Columbia before we came here to Regina, when we were stationed there, we were closer to my wife's family and they didn't take it very well when we got, when I accepted a promotion to come back to, to Regina. My parents, my parents actually lived here in Regina at the time. So they were happy. They were delighted because now, you know, they could, spend some time with the grandchildren and all that sort of stuff where um, it was a missed opportunity for, for Deborah's folks was, you know, it's, it's the old story that you, you, you don't always get the opportunities back. And, and what I mean by that is you may be co-located or located in close proximity to your family, but you don't go visit. And then when the phone rings and they're told that they have to move, then you're going, yeah, but you can't go because we have all this visiting we need to do and not realizing that you need to take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves and not after the fact. Yeah. We were talking about that before the show started was family, right? Hey, a lot of adjustments, a lot of different, you know, different flavors, let's put it that way, different flavors, right? Different blends of how families work, right? The, and, you know, when the opportunity is there to visit and they don't take that and then the opportunity is gone, well, then it's, you can't get that time back, right? No. No, and that was the thing that we, you know, we, we kind of found like when we lived in BC, we were the ones that usually had to hop on the ferry and go over to the island where my wife's family was and stuff like that. And it was difficult to get them to understand that there, there were opportunities there for them to hop on the ferry and come back to the mainland just as much as it was for us to go to them. And so it's a missed opportunity. and. You know, nowadays with everything else that's going on in people's lives, you need to take advantage of those golden opportunities when they present themselves. Right, because you just never know what's going to happen. So, Doug, I want to talk about your first book. Let's talk about the first one first. So what got you into writing that first book? A guy by the name of Jim McKillop. Jim and I went through RCMP training together. And he made a, a decision to leave the force early. So I think he had about five, six years service and he left the force. But he, he, uh, he would write inspirational, motivational messages and, and send them by email to his children every morning without fail, wouldn't miss a beat. And it was just those little, you know, those little nuggets, those little pearls of wisdom that would help brighten their day and, and, you know, give them a reason to go forward with whatever was going to come their way. And he ended up 
couple of his friends said, Jim, you know, you need to write a book, put all of these messages into a book. And so that's what Jim did. He put all the messages in a book and then he turns to me and he says, you need to write a book. And I said, about what? And he said, you've written all of these blog articles. He said, there's your content. He said, just pull them all together. So he hooked me up with a ghostwriter and along came the gift of mentoring. And, you know, we pulled together, I forget how many different articles there were, but there was lots. And it, it, the gift of mentoring was your basic mentoring 101. It, it was written with the idea that this is a mentoring can help organizations, mentoring can help people. And everyone needed to know how to go about doing that and what was, you know, the actual benefit in that. And so that was the gift of mentoring. So, Doug, what's the difference between mentoring and coaching? Because we talked about this on the radio, but I, and for the listeners on Tea Time, I, I, I want to get into that. What's, what is the difference between the two of them? Um, you know, it, it's it's... I'm going to I'm going to give a, a political answer where I'm going to I'm going to say that if you go on the internet and you search coaching and mentoring, you're going to get so many different variations of what it actually means. Here is here is my interpretation of it: is that mentoring is uh, more about the person that you're working with, so the person you're mentoring. It's more about them managing the relationship. It's more about them determining what it is that they want to get out of the time you're going to spend together. A coach is more directive, more direct, sorry. So very so much- So it's more like a dictating, right? Dic yeah, to some extent. Dictating might be a, a little strong. Yeah, that might be that a little too forceful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But in some cases, it's closer to the truth. But well, but there's so many different flavors of of serving, right? And how you how you bring something to the table, and I and I really like the mentorship because you're actually showing somebody what they can like. You're giving them tools and tips, but they're actually giving you how they feel about the tools and tips on how they how they would work them. Uh, you know. Uh, and I like that when you work with the person, right? Because then you build a relationship where coaching, I feel is more of like a contract. It's like, okay, in 30 days, you're going to have this, this, this done where mentoring ship is more of let's take the flow at a pace, right? Like, well, you know, it's, it's about, so you and I are going to get into a mentoring relationship. Let's talk about what is it that you hope to take away from our time that we spend together. And what I do typically, like I had a mentoring session today that I, I did where I just ask questions and to help the person s stimulate their critical thinking skills to be able to say, what would happen what would happen now if you were to do this? Or what would happen if you were to do A, B, or C? And then, so you've given them the solution, but you've kind of masked it a bit. And now you're, you're getting them, you're encouraging them to uh, explore those three examples that you gave and provide the rationale why they should do B versus C or A. So, and, how, long have, so Doug, how long have you been doing this for? Since 2000, full-time as a profession since 2009. So you, you got a little bit under your belt, so you know what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I've logged, the last time I looked, uh, I've logged about 3,500 hours of mentoring. Wow. So what, what, what does it give you, Doug, to mentor someone? I get the personal satisfaction of watching somebody uh, grow on a personal and professional basis. So that's what, that's what excites me is to see 
the growth in an individual personally and professionally. And you, you, you know, if you're going into being a mentor thinking that, you know, you're going to get all these accolades and everything else, you don't. But where you get the accolades you get are when you see, you know, somebody that you're working with achieve the goals that they set out that they wanted to, to achieve. And you've been a part of that journey. I actually, I, I had a, a young lady that I was working with, I was mentoring and her, she ended up getting married and I got invited to her wedding. And I went up to talk to, to, uh, to talk to both her and her new husband. And I said, you know, I'm really curious. How come I got an invitation? I'm, and, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm just curious. And, and they both said, we could not imagine getting married without you being here. Wow. It's the so, impact, right, that you leave yeah. on people's lives. Yeah. And it, it, there's something about seeing somebody accomplish their goals, right, and their dreams by just having that little insight and giving them the tools and tips to get to that point right i mean, it's really an indescribable feeling inside when you can see that person winning when you know where they came from and how they struggled to get to where they are you know and some take a little longer than others and you know what that just means a longer relationship right yeah yeah it does and and now now we've kind of somewhat thrown a curve into this whole story is that now I've been exploring mentoring as part of the support structure for mental health. And that that changes to some extent, that changes how you interact with people. So one of the things that I, I teach now when I'm talking to mentors and I'm saying, okay, when you go to meet your mentee, the person you're ment going to be mentoring the very first time, you need to look for telltale signs of somebody who is struggling uh, on a journey of healing because they've had a difficult time. They don't have somebody that will listen and hear. They don't have somebody who's non-judgmental. They don't have somebody who who is uh, sworn to keep everything confidential and not you know and and not share that. They have they're none of that. So. I, I, cause I remember I met with a young person and it was our first meeting and it had to be virtual because of the proximity of the geographical where everybody was. And I opened up right away and, and I said, you know, I've, um, I'm a retired police officer. I ended up with uh, post-traumatic stress. I lost my wife to cancer. I'm dealing with grief on top of all that other stuff. And, and so that's just a little bit about me. And, and this individual said, oh, well, I've been diagnosed and started to unravel and tell me their story, her story, uh, all about what she was dealing with. And it was important for both of us to understand you know, kind of where she where she'd been and where she's going and how she plans on getting there, because <clears throat> I need to be able to tailor to customize my mentoring approach based on the things that she's dealing with, based on her behavior, and all of those. Well, and I think Doug, we, me and Linda, we said that this afternoon. When you live it and you have the life experience. Another person can connect with you at a different level than somebody who just studies, right? Goes to school and gets his certificates and courses and all that, but they don't have that personal experience. There's that missing, right? That missing piece of the puzzle. So when you actually come and you say, I'm a retired officer, I have PTSD. Well, the person that might have PTSD says, you know what? I understand how he's feeling because I'm going through it too. And you had that connection, right? And that's what we need with mental health and awareness is we need that personal experience and connection in order to make a difference, in order to break that stigma that is out there. 
because mental illness is this, you have to look sad, you have to look depressed, you know, you could have a full time job, go to work every day and still live with depression, still live with PTSD. You know, it's the, the way that we survive the way that we go on in life. But mental illness is something that is not seen it is and then I think that's why we have such a trouble understanding it because it's not seen because it's part of the mind and the brain, right? It's, so, Doug, you going into this avenue with mental health and advocating and that, what doors has that opened for you, for you in your life? Uh, you know, I've met some very interesting people and have been able to guide them on on a different in a different direction for their healing journey. Um, so, I see that as a positive or as a as a plus. It's also it's also closed some doors where I found that some folks are reluctant. So the stigmatism is still alive and well, and they're afraid to engage or ask for help by me with or with me simply because of that stigmatism. So I've had, you know, some good stuff. The sun is shining. I've had some not so good. There's clouds in the sky and it, um, we, we just, I, I belong to a, a number of, of uh, bereavement groups and groups of people that are struggling with, you know, not only with uh, grief and, and that, but a whole bunch of other things as well. And um, there, there's, there's definitely a need for, somebody like myself who provides what I do, there's definitely a need for that. And, um, but we're not there yet. We just don't yeah. seem to, you know, we don't seem to want to extend our hand and say, okay, let's put, let's put the stigmatism aside and I need help. Yeah, the stigma, the stigma is getting stronger. I, I don't know about you, but I find that it is getting stronger. It's almost like the fear of trying to understand that it cannot be seen, that people will have their roller coaster rise. Well, they'll go up, they'll go down. It's it's like grief, right? Yeah. And the grief, you're, it, especially if you have complicated grief, well, that even makes it harder because then there's you've lost this person, but you're grieving this person now. And you're like, why, why am I mad at this person now? Because it it's like mental illness. It, it brings you in all different circles and different avenues and, and rabbit holes that you're like, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm going down. So who's going to help me get out of that rabbit hole? You know? And I, I, and I feel with mentoring, that's what we do is we, we lift you up from the, from the rabbit hole and say, let me help you. Let me build this relationship with you. You know, instead of coaching and saying, well, I can fix you. No. And we both and we both know that that's not possible. <laughs> no, you know, no. anybody that says they're going to fix somebody, they need to pardon the expression, but you need to give your head a shake because that ain't happening. Right, and 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 that's my biggest fear is when someone comes to me and says, "Mrs. I can fix you." Oh. I don't know, man. I think that there's a mirror and the mirror, you need to look at it because there's no one fixing anybody but yourself because it's an in work job. You can help somebody. You can, you can hold their hand and walk with them. Like I always tell people, don't walk in front of me or behind me, walk beside me. Let's walk together. Right. Yeah. And I feel that that's what you've been doing with all the work that you've done, even with RCMP, you know, you're like partners, like let's walk together. Let's do this together, not divided, you know? Um, so let's get into the second book so that people can understand the grief journey, which you dug uh, your second book. I believe you wrote it because of your wife. You are not she, alone. She was, she was part and parcel. So you are not alone it has the element of, of Deborah in it for sure, without a doubt, not as much as the next one that I'm working on, where I think I, I would say I probably dedicate 80% of the book to her. So anyhow, so we'll back up to You Are Not Alone. The idea behind that was to start 
the thought process for mental uh, mentoring to be part of a mental health uh, support structure. And I talk uh, in the book, I talk about uh, Deborah and my kids, actually, my two, my son and my daughter being the only support structure that I had. And I, I share uh, a very heart wrenching story where um, a young person uh, committed suicide and we were in a northern community, no health doctor or any of that stuff. And we had to transport the individual's body out to the closest morgue, which was eight hours away. <clears throat> and it was the middle of 40 below weather in the middle of winter. And they didn't want me to travel by myself. So they, um, they volunteered my wife to go with me. And this, there was good things and bad things about that. Number one, she was having to experience what I experienced on a daily basis or what could be a daily. But the other part was that she, uh, she, she got exposed to some things that gave her an indication of what it, what it, if she decides to marry me, what it's going to be like as a married to a police officer. So, so anyhow, the book is, is written on, on that basis, on that aspect with, there's a couple uh, case studies in there. And there's also, I believe five or six uh, individuals have submitted um, an article that we've put in the book that explains some of their experiences with mental health. Oh, that's cool. I like I like when people submit other people's stories in in their books, right? It, it's not like an anthology, but it's giving a couple little shout outs here and there, you know, like just getting the different perspectives of stories and the way people see things. Uh, this book became number one bestseller, correct? Yeah, number one bestseller North America and the UK. Yeah, in the UK. Oh well. There you go. See? Yeah. So, Doug, writing this book, You Are Not Alone, there's a lot of books. I, I, I seen that. There's a lot of books called You Are Not Alone. So what was it about that title that was for you? What it did for me and the reason we picked You Are Not Alone was because it, it was I wanted the message I wanted to get across to people is that and it's a largely a lot of the stuff you and I have talked about already, but is the fact that you don't have to go on this journey by yourself. You are not alone. And, and if you reach out and ask for help, somebody will be there to help you. And so that was kind of the, the premise of it. And, uh, you know, the book cover was designed with that in mind as well, where you, you came to this fork in the road and you, you got to make a decision as to which path you wanted to take. Is it a path of where you're going to get that help that you need or are you going to do it on your own, so to speak? And so the, uh, the, the person that designed the cover, I just kind of said, here's what I'm thinking. And he went to town and came up with all the colors and everything else. And I went like, wow. And that's what we went with. I, I remember us talking about this on the radio, the fork in the road. We talked about the cover a lot because the cover is gorgeous uh, for anybody that would like to get a copy. Uh, the, you know, the image, it just makes you think, right? Do you go yeah. left or do you go right? Or do you stay right in the middle you know, we don't talk about that middle line, right? We talk about the left and the right, but we don't talk about that middle line. So, Doug, were you ever on that middle line? Quite often. And because I didn't, I had no one other than Deborah, and no disrespect intended, but, I, you know, I, because to me, what, what it is, is, the fork in the road rep represents the opportunity to make a decision, a choice. You have a choice. You can go left, you can go right, or you can stay right in the middle 
and and hold hold your course true. And so you you need to decide how am I going to be best served by the path that I take. And my message is you can't take the middle path. Yeah, you have to make a choice. <laughs> you have to make a choice. And I think that's part of mentoring as well, right? Is you have to make a choice. Do you want to better yourself? Do you actually want to achieve the goal? Or do you want to stay stuck in that middle path and the excuses and, oh, I can't do this. And, you know, uh, that's going to be too hard. That's going to be too long. I don't know if I can, you know, all, we've heard them all before, right? Yeah. And a lot of people don't talk about the middle of the road because they don't want to face facts that they don't want to make a choice to change. Right. Well, yeah. And I think that there's the element of fear. I'm afraid to make a, a wrong decision, a wrong choice. And because of that, I, I would, it, for me, you know, you sort of go, well, maybe it's better if I just don't make a choice at all and we'll wait and see what happens. You know, there's a lot that can happen. Yeah. You know, a lot that can happen. And so you need to kind of, you need to manage the path that you're going to take versus let it manage you. Yeah. Well, I think when we stay stuck in the middle, Doug, we're just, we'll see what happens. And then when life comes to the end, we, we live with a lot of regret because we're like, well, we should have took that or we, we could have done that. Or, you know, the woulda, coulda, shoulda, it, it plays at the end of life, right? And I think it's time for everybody just to make a choice. Do you go left or right? And, you know, if you don't try, you don't know. And I think if you wouldn't have started writing books, Doug, you wouldn't be here where you are today had you not taken that step, right? Well, and, you know, You Are Not Alone was the, the spark that got me going was people coming up to me and saying, we think that mentoring could make a difference. You need to write a book about it. And, and and speak specifically to how mentoring will help people that are struggling with mental health and grief and, and all of those elements. And so that's what we did. Well, and there's not a lot of books out there on mentoring. There's a lot of books on coaching, but there's not a lot on mentoring. Uh, well, what you'll see is there, there are some mentoring books that are out there, but they're all... Uh, based on theory on the academic side, there's very few, if any, that are written from the, the practice of mentoring or the practical application of mentoring. There's not many of those. Yeah. So Doug, I wanna get into your tea because I asked you your tea and I think it's really incredible the tea you gave me because you gave me timely, emotional and aspiring. So why those three words for your tea? You know, for me, my cup of tea, when I go to have that sip of my tea, it's it's very timely when that has to take place. Because I look at everything that's going on around me and for me to be able to, to do things, they have to happen in a very timely manner. And then of course, we also talk about the emotional side of things. I'm I need to be able to, from an emotional perspective, to be able to share those emotions with the people that I'm drinking tea with. I need to be able to share those emotions because a large part of what I what I find and what I see is that if you can be humble enough to acknowledge that you know I'm I'm an emotional sort of person and I wear my emotions on my sleeve that's going to be able to take you that much further. And when you blend the timely and the emotional in the cup together, there's a lot of power that's there for somebody to, If when I go to share my cup of tea, it's, it's a very powerful experience for the person that I'm sharing that with. And then finally, the last one, my cup of tea is going to be the thing that people will be 
looking to me to say, where can we go next? They aspire to make the world a better place to be. We want to make a difference. We aspire to make a difference. And how can we go about doing that? I, I You know, and I knew you would get this, Doug. You know, and a lot of people don't get the tea. And I understand that because it's so different, right? It's part of mental illness. You don't see the tea. You see what people serve, but you don't understand why they serve the way they serve because of the story within them. And that's what the tea is. My Oma told me it's the way you serve individuals, how you make people feel. You show them the real self. You don't show them a mask. You don't show them what's going to make them comfortable. You bring you to the table. And that's what you do, Doug, because you share that is the time that you invest in people and you want people to know that you have a soft heart, that you're emotional. And there's nothing wrong with that. Men have emotions too, you know? And I think it's really important what you're doing with the mentoring and bringing a voice for men to mental health, because there's so much stigma on that as well, mm -hmm. you know, and you bringing your tea to the table is going to make a difference because you're telling people it's okay to take time to show your emotions. It's okay to be you, you know? And there's that statement that they use, it's okay to not be okay. Right, yes. And that's what tea is. It's okay not to be okay. You're gonna have a bad cup of tea. You're gonna have bad flavors and blends in life. Things are going to happen. But when you start to understand the tea, and Doug, I knew you would understand it because we have connected back and forth quite often. Mm -hmm. You understand that the message comes from within. How you serve, how you connect, how you bring people to the table. You know, how you work with people. Over the time frame that you have worked with individuals through the RCMP work, through your mentoring, through the writing, through your connections, through podcasting, interviews, You've always brought your real self to the table, and I'm really grateful for that. The authenticity is there, Doug, and I want to thank you for that. The, and this is what tea time is. It's understanding why we serve why we the way we do. Why is Miss Liz emotional wreck sometimes? Because Miss Liz is an emotional wreck sometimes. Why is why is Doug sensitive? Because Doug is sensitive. That's who we are. We can't change who we are. That's just how we're made. So, Doug, what did you learn about your tea before you even started sharing your tea? It, it just, you know, what it did for me was it brought out, it, it brought out how important the emotions are that I need to be comfortable in who I am as a person and I, because I, I, and as we've been talking, I've been, my mind's been going 100 miles an hour. And I think of, I had told somebody having, I was doing more research for the book I'm writing right now. And I, um, the person that's doing the editing for me said, this is what I need from you. I need a bit of a sort of a chronology of events that took place up to, and including when your wife passed away. And I came across a, an email message that I had written to my two children, to Deborah's sister, and I think to one other person. And it was just that. It was a chronology of, you know, we were seen by the doctor at this particular time. Tests were done. Here's the results of all these lesions on her, various parts of her body and stuff like that. And what I, I said at that time point was I... I realized as a result of all of that stuff, I realized that my Deborah was dying and I choked up. You know, so for me to be able to do that, that's who I am, as, you know, as you pointed out, that's who I am as a person. And the authenticity of what I just went through is so powerful that, you know, you, you just, yeah. 
Well, you make a real mess, right? You spill the tea. Like my mom says, you spill it, you make a mess, and you clean it up. But you have fun when you make that mess, right? Because you're learning. It's a learning experience. It's like that bend the fork in the road, right? If you spill it, if you spill your cup on the right side or the left side, right? What side are you cleaning? What side are you going to? You know. And I think we we look at life as as this game sometimes and we forget that it is precious until the time comes. And then we're just like, Whoa, okay. This is really life here. This is no longer a game. There's no more complaining. Oh, I can't get up in the morning. I can't do that. You know, instead of getting up in the morning and saying, thank you, I'm grateful for this morning, no matter what's coming at me, let's take it for what it is. Right. And, uh, and that's so, Doug, I want to get some tips and tools that you use when you're mentoring. Uh, and I believe that you work with men and women, correct? Correct. Yeah. So what are some of the tips and tools that you've used over the years that you find are the most empowering? So one of the ones that's, so I, I, I look at it from the aspect of, so my definition of mentoring is a two-way trusted relationship where the mentor and the mentee learn and grow together on a personal and professional basis. So one of the things that I, I spend time on is how do I go about building a trusted relationship? And a large part of that is, is done through sharing stories. So if I share a story of a personal nature, like for example, my father was an alcoholic. So you don't normally blurt something like that out, but I do it when I'm mentoring because I want to demonstrate, okay, here's a part of my life that I grew up with. It may align with yours and it may not, but I'm just demonstrating the how open I am, how humble I am, the humility of my life. So I'm just demonstrating how that can happen. So building that trusted relationship is extremely important. And that's one way of being able to do that. Um, I also spend quite a bit of time on communicating. So teaching people how different techniques and things that you can do um, in a number of different places. So I go, you know, I definitely do that. And one of the things that we, I think we talked about this a little earlier, but what is the Socratic method? So where you ask questions instead of telling? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So those would be a couple that sort of jump to the forefront. Well, there's a big difference, right? When you're asking questions and when you're saying it, when you're telling, it's kind of like you're you're kind of telling the person, well, this is who you are, right? This is this is what I'm getting from you. This is what I'm getting. You know, it's back to the the coaching of dictating, right? Because they're not building the relationship. They're they're there to coach, not build. Well, and, and the think, other, sorry, go ahead. Well, and I think that's and that's the difference between coaching and mentoring, right? Is one is coaching and one is building. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know the the whole idea of of asking a series of questions to guide people to the answers, you know, that's that's mentoring, you know, and and it does work. The idea of one of the things I talk about is the pausing technique. So the pausing technique is I'm thinking I'm going to, I'm having a conversation with you and I'm thinking I'm a, I'm going to say the, these, this group of words, but I'm not exactly sure how you're going to receive them. So I pause and I, I reflect back if that was me getting that statement, how would I take it? And if I, if my response to myself was probably not very well, then I need to reframe, rephrase that particular statement and and say it again, but say it differently. Well, it, it goes right back to the T, right? You, the reflection in the T. Yeah. If we just react, 
if we're being told something, we're on that reactive mode, right? We're reacting because somebody's telling us that this is what we should do. And this is how, you know, and where mentoring is asking the questions, well, how do you feel about that? And, you know, what brings you to this situation? And why do you react that way, right? So do you use all of the questions like what, where, when, and how when you're mentoring? It, de it depends on, on the person and it depends on where the conversation has gone or is going. And then I, every conversation I have with somebody is customized to that person. And so there's, there's no playbook per se that, you know, if these numbers get called, I go in that direction or I go in this direction and that I'm, the biggest thing for me is I listen and hear what the person is saying. And what's also interesting and is a, a technique as well is the, the aspect of, of uh, listening and hearing. I, I just had my, my brain go click. Okay. <laughs> we just went to the right side. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're heading down the path, but we're going down the wrong one. Um, It'll come to me. It'll come to me. They, they, they usually say that that happens when we, we have too much on the mind. And, yeah. and, and you have already mentioned this, Doug, that the thoughts are racing, right? The, yeah. like, there's a lot to process. And I think that's another thing that we don't understand about mental illness is the, the thought process. You know, how people think, how people inject things in their mind. Uh, you know, we could be having this conversation between me and you, Doug, where my mind could be like, okay, I got this thing to do now. I got that to do. And I, you know, because the thought in the brain is just on overdrive. It's just go, 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 go. Right. And it's okay to forget sometimes, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you just went down the rabbit hole on the right side. We'll help you up. We'll pull you up, Doug. It, it, it reminds me of one of the stories I always, especially dealing with grief, is okay. I'm downstairs in the basement at the the foot of the stairs, and I'm asking myself, why am I here? Why am I here? And I just I I don't know. So I turn around and go back upstairs and retrace my steps. And 95% of the time I can usually, I usually recall, oh yeah, you were down And then there. you got to go back down the stairs. And then I got to go back downstairs again. <laughs> right, it's a process. Sometimes we have to take those steps backwards, look at it, reflect, and then yeah. rethink what, what, what was the reason, and then go back down those steps again. Yep. And, and that's how life is, right? Yeah. So you mentioned a new book. We're almost we're almost at the end of the hour here, Doug. So I want to get a little bit about the book. Is the book coming out this year? Next yes. year? Yeah. Yes. I'm I promise that I will get it out this year. And that's for my publicist. I promise that I will get the book out to you. So yeah, we're we're I I personally am about I think I have, I'm two thirds, at least two thirds, if not more of the way through editing my manuscript. And then it goes, it'll go back to the, the gentleman that's helping me by doing the, he's done one round of edits already. And as a result of that, I've, I had some significant rewrites that I had to do part of which was including that, that, uh, chronology of of events up to when Deborah passed and that so um so yeah I'm I'm optimistic that it will have a product by before the end of the year before the end of the year so I'll get an update from you Doug stating Miss Liz I got a new book yep you will awesome so, so, Doug, do you have any workshops coming up? No, you know, I I don't. I am starting to. I'm I'm being blessed, but I've 
I, actually, I shouldn't say that. I, I did one workshop for uh, the psychiatric nursing program here in the city. So um, it was a couple hours, kind of a lunch and learn thing where we talked about mentoring and their mentoring program and stuff. But on Monday, I go and speak to, at the same college, I go to speak to their HR class. Oh. And, and we discuss... Um, we discuss mental health and their role as an HR practitioner, what their role can and could be uh, in an organization where all of a sudden there's situations of mental health, there's situations of grief in, in the workplace. Um, so it, it's helping them better understand what that's all about. So if anybody wanted to reach out to you, Doug, how could they reach you? Um, they can reach me through my website at www.talentc.ca. They can reach me on LinkedIn. You can direct message me through LinkedIn. I've, I'm fairly active there. A little bit on Facebook. but um, And then finally, sort of my last uh, piece is just send me an email. So uh, doug.lawrence at talent c so the word talent the letter c on the end dot ca and i'll get back to you right away so what final message do you have for everybody tonight doug i would encourage people that if you haven't made your cup of tea yet now's the time to make it and to enjoy that cup of tea wow thank you I am so blessed to have you here, Doug, because I actually need more people like Doug who understand the tea and understand that I cannot tell you what your tea is. You have to tell me what it is because that's part of the mentoring that I do is I just give you the pot, I pour it in your cup and you guys tell me what your flavor and blend is. Uh, I, can't, I can't tell you guys who you are or what you serve or what you bring. All I can do is serve the tea that you bring to my table. So I really want to thank you for that, Doug. It's been a real pleasure. And, you know, and I'm glad that you're bringing a voice to mental health, especially for men and that, you know, and just keep being you because you're an incredible person. And I've had a, a blast. I want to give a special shout out to Mickey Mickelson because without Mickey from Creative Edge, I wouldn't even know Doug Uh He's the one that brought Doug my way. I think it's almost two years ago, two, three years ago. It's the years, the years have gone by so yeah. fast. Like we're already season five. And you know, if you guys want to see any of these tea times, you can go over to Miss Liz's YouTube channel. That's the best way to get them. Cause you get the video, you get the, the facial expressions and you get the enjoyment and you can pause it and go make a cup of tea, come back, enjoy it. And you know, so, there's over 300 tea times there, and Doug is there. Doug is also on my radio show, so if you would like to tune in to the radio station, you can tune in to WFRM and Ulster Radio in Ireland. Those are the two radio stations that are now hosting Miss Liz's Tea Times. Again, Doug, I want to thank you for joining me. I want to thank the viewers and subscribers and and the people who come in with their questions and comments and just support, just a little high, a little heart, a little hug, a little like it makes a difference and it encourages us all to keep moving forward and keep spilling tea we actually make a difference when we all work together and i will see everybody in february if you'd like to know about february's guests go over to miss liz's website or my facebook page and other platforms and you can see february's press release where the guests are all released there that is what miss liz is doing this year i am doing press release to honor my guests and to give them a little bit more seen and heard out there in the world uh and if you see a topic and it hasn't been on tea time and you would like it on tea time please reach out to miss liz and you can email me at bookingmissliz at gmail.com again i want to thank everybody we're going to close up january 2024 and we're going to head over to february where we have 12 amazing individuals coming and we're going to keep doing that for the rest of the year for 2024 so stay tuned and give Miss Liz a quick subscribe, a quick little follow, like, share, share the post, share the guest. And again, Doug, thank you for joining me tonight on Tea Time. 
And I'll see everybody next week, same time, same place on Miss Liz's YouTube channel, uh, LinkedIn, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook, I believe. Rumble, all of those good places. So there's a lot, of, lot to see. So again, thank you, Doug, so much for having and sitting and having tea with me. This is your official tea time. So <laughs> I'll see everybody next week. Same time, same place.